0: So John uh, chapter 19, I mean 18, we're going to continue our study here in the gospel of John. And we get to the point in the gospel of John where Jesus had, had just met with his disciples up in the upper room. He had the last supper with them. He broke bread with them. He shared with them about the new covenant. He said, he he warned, he, he gave them a, a a warning, letting them know, hey, the, I'm, I'm, my body is going to be broken for you guys. And my blood is going to be shed for you guys. You know, and he told and he and afterwards he, he prayed for them He prayed for himself And then he prayed for all people who would come to believe Including us And now meanwhile all this is going on Judas is in the background Making a deal with the, with the religious Pharisees With the religious leaders of the time Again selling Jesus Giving him up, betraying him And then he's on his way right now to the garden Where Jesus is at With a whole mob of people ready to, to arrest Jesus And ready to just to, 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 to pretty much beat him up and crucify him And then we get to a point here in John chapter 18 where Jesus is arrested. So we get to John chapter 18 and starting in verses 1 through 14 it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, with torches, with weapons. So Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go away. That the, that the same might be fulfilled which he spoke of those whom you gave me, I lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, he drew it and he struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's, the servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. They tied him up and they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. So again, we get here to to the garden of of Gethsemane and and Jesus is here with his disciples. And now Judas shows up with the whole mob of, of people, you know, religious leaders and officers and all these guys come, they come with, with clubs, with weapons, with robes, to, uh, with torches to, to tie up Jesus and to take him. You know, and um, the, the, the other gospel accounts, so Matthew 26, 36 tells us, tells us uh, also about this incident. And Matthew 26, 36 tells us that, that the garden where Jesus was at was called Gethsemane. And then Matthew 26 tells us that, they, that he took Peter, James and John with him as he prayed to the Father. So, again, the other, gospel, the other gospels tell us more, give us more details about this incident. You know, and Matthew tells us that, that, the, that the name of the garden was Gethsemane. And that while he was there, before, before the, the mob came, that Jesus took Peter, James, and John. And he took, he took them with them and he said, hey, pray with me. And then it says that, that Jesus went over there and he started praying. And that these guys fell asleep. You know, and what did Jesus pray while he was there right before this happened? Matthew 26 tells us that he prayed, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, my will be done. Nevertheless, your will be done and not mine. In Luke 22, verses 44, it says that, that Jesus being in agony, that he prayed more earnestly. And then that his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. So again, so the other gospel accounts give us more details about this. And they tell us that while Jesus was there in the garden of Gethsemane, that right before this happened, they started praying. He prayed to the Father. He said, Father, if, if there's any other possible way, then let it be. If there's un- any other possible way for this to happen, let it be. But if not, then your will be done and not mine. And it says that he was so stressed that he was, he was under so much pressure that he began to sweat drops of blood. Now, this is a, a, actually a, a, medical, a medical condition that, that happens. It, it still happens to this day. I forgot the, the term for it. You know, but you guys can look at pictures, it's... Uh, I, I, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the name of it, but it's an actual medical condition that somebody could be under so much pressure that their that their blood vessels will pop here in their forehead and their face and that, that the blood will, be, will start coming out of their pores. So this is what's happening to Jesus, that He's under so much pressure you know, that He begins to sweat great drops of blood. It says that, that He was in agony, an ag- and an agony not because of the physical pain that He was about to experience, but because of the spiritual implications. So it's not that Jesus was was in so much pain and that he didn't want to do this and that he didn't want to go to the cross so bad that he started sweating drops of blood. You know, because he was willing to, to give his life over. You know, and later on, he's going to talk to Pilate and Pilate is going to tell him, hey, don't you know that I have power to, to release you? And Jesus tells him, hey, you have no power besides the power that's been given to you from God. So Jesus was ready and willing to give his life over for, for all of us. He wasn't hesitant and in, in, in going to, he knew what he was going to experience. He knew that it had been written about him that he was going to suffer That the Messiah was going to suffer for our sins. That the Messiah was going to be betrayed. was going to be given over. It's not that that He was agonizing over. But what He was agonizing over was, was the spiritual implications of this. So He would at that moment. At that very moment that He would be crucified and take our sins upon Him. He would drink the cup of judgment of the Father. So at the moment of crucifixion. This Jesus. This sinless perfection. The Son of God. God Himself. The Holy Lamb of God without spot or blemish. Was about to experience God's hatred of sin. And that's what Jesus was agonizing over. That, that, that God the Father was going to turn His back on Him. While He was on the cross, Jesus would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it was this that, that Jesus was agonizing over this, this, this being, this being uh, uh, set aside from the Father. The Father not being able to look upon Him because at that moment He took on the sins of humanity. The sins of all the, of, all the world, of all the world, past, present, and future. So he's at this garden, and he goes back with the disciples, and then Judas and the, and the angry mob show up. They show up, and then the other gospels tell us that, that, that Judas went up to Jesus, and that he identified him by, by kissing him. He went over there, he gave him a kiss on the cheek, and he had told the, the religious leaders. He said, they asked him, well, who's it going to be? And he tells them, the person who I go up and, and give a kiss on the cheek to, that's going to be the one. So to think that, that this Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss, with a kiss on the cheek. You know, now, I don't know if to us it might seem strange, you know, but for them, for them at the time, you know, for the Jewish people at the time, you know, it, was, it was a custom to just when you greet somebody, you greet them with a, with a kiss on the cheek. Still and here we don't really do that a lot, you know, but like in South America, there's places in South America, like when I was down there in Colombia, like anybody you, you greet, well, mostly the women, you greet them with uh, a uh, kiss on the cheek, a kiss on the cheek, it's just part of the custom you know so and it's just a it's like a a showing of affection you know of love for somebody so to think that that jesus be, that judas betrayed jesus with the show of affection with the kiss on the cheek so they go over there they they they're looking for jesus and they and and jesus asked him he asked him plainly who are you guys looking for he didn't try to run away from this he knew that this was god's plan for him he knew that this was the plan of god the father for him and he asked him you know who are you looking for and they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said to him, I am he. And then it says right here that when he, when he answered I am he, there in verse 6, it says that, that they that they drew back and they fell to the ground. So it's like if if they were just like hit by a force of impact. Jesus answered, I am he. Now this I am, the the, the Greek word for this I am is the ego emi, which is the Greek translation of the of the Hebrew name given to of God given to Moses which is the I am there at the burning bush in Exodus. There in Exodus 3, 14, as you guys might know that, that Moses had an encounter with the Lord as he's out there tending his sheep. He lost one and then he sees a burning, a burning bush and he approaches it. All of a sudden he hears God's voice and God tells him, Hey, take take off your sandals because the the ground that you're standing on is holy ground. He begins, he begins to talk to Moses and and to send him out and tell him, and he begins to tell him that he's going to set the people of Israel free, and then Moses says, man, they're not going to believe me. They're not going to believe that God spoke to me. If they ask me that who sent me out, what should I say? Like, who should I say sent me out? And God says, tell them that I am who I am has sent you. So this is the holy name of God. You know, showed to Moses in the Old Testament. Now this I am that, that Jesus, you know, identified himself as is the same as is an egoemi. Is a the Greek translation of this Hebrew word for I am. So he is identifying himself as God right there. As as they come up and say, they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He says, echo me, I am. So at that moment, they they experienced just this like force of divinity coming from Jesus and they fell back. So this is that the troops and the officers were about 500 men. It doesn't tell us here, but a troop normally in that time would have been at least 500 men. It could have been anywhere from 500 to 1,000. So we're going to go with like the least number. Imagine 500 men coming up with torches, with clubs, with, with, uh, with weapons. You know, and, and they're looking for Jesus. Man, for, the, for Jesus. The, the sinless Lamb of God. So it could have been about 500 men that, that, come, that came with Judas. And then it says that they all fell back. So they experienced a display of Jesus' divine power and majesty. Now Jesus was completely in control of the situation. We see that if he wanted to, He could have just taken all these guys out I mean by him just identifying himself as God They all just fell back So we see that Jesus was in complete control of the situation He could have taken all these guys out at once You know he could have have had things happen a different way But he knew that there was no other way That the only way was the cross Now it was because of love You know love for you and me that, That he submitted to the father's will And to the hands of the mob Now it's not that that, that, that he had no escape route. It's not that he couldn't do anything about it. In another gospel, he's in, he tells Peter, Hey, if I wanted to, I could send in a legion of angels to come in right now and protect me. But that's not what it was about. You know, he knew that, 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 the, that the only way was the cross. That the plan of God the Father was that, was, that he would, was that Jesus would be betrayed, would be beaten, would be crucified, and would die for the sins of all humanity. Amen. So it had to be, this, this had to be the way. It goes on to say right there in verse 15. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at at the door outside. Then the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Verse 17 says, Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers who, ma- who had made a fire of coal stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues and the temple, where Jews always meet. I in secret have said nothing. Why do you ask me? He says, Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered him, If I had spoken evil, bear witness to the evil. But, I, but if well, then why do you strike me? So we see Jesus is taken in. You know, Jesus didn't fight. He didn't fight back. You know, it, as, as Peter struck the, struck the, the, high, the high priest's servant, it so says that, that Peter, he took out his sword, he struck out the, the, the high priest's servant, trying to protect Jesus. Imagine this, you know, Peter trying to protect the Son of God. Peter trying to protect God. He strikes out the, the servant of the high priest. He cuts off his ear. He was probably aiming for his head and he missed. He cuts off his ear. You know, and then the, the, another, another gospel tells us that, that, that Jesus actually took up the little piece of ear and that he, that he healed him. <laughs> he healed the, the, the high priest's servant. So it's crazy to think that the last miracle that Jesus ever did was on one of the guys who came to, to arrest him. And this guy, These guys come in with blood, with, with, with bats and clubs and, and weapons and stuff to arrest, to arrest Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He shows his love to him. You know, he, he, he heals his ear. And we just see the grace of God to the very end being extended to, to, all, to all men, to all humanity. And then we read about Peter's denial here in these verses. So earlier during the Last Supper, Jesus predicted that Peter would deny him three times. There in Matthew 26, verse 33 and 35, as he's telling, Jesus, as he's telling Peter, hey, you're, you're going to deny me. And then Peter says, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. He says, all these other guys might deny you, but I won't. And Jesus told him, he says, surely I tell you, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. So not, not only once, but three times, Peter. So I know that, that Peter was, was a little bit, you know. Uh, puffed up, you know. He was, he was, he was very confident in himself, you know. And, and I, I love Peter. I love Peter because I identify with Peter. You know, where sometimes I think like, all right, Lord, I got this. Lord, I know you called me to do this, and and uh, but Lord, and Lord, I got this. And sometimes we, we, we think that, that that we could go throughout this world and just do things on our own, in our own strength, and and just use God, you know, like keep God at the side and say, all right, Lord, thank thank you for handling that one, but I got this one, Lord. You know, and that's kind of that's kind of how Peter was. You know, that like he was just kind of very strong willed. He liked to just go out there and do things on his own. You know, and, and, and the Lord himself tells him Hey Peter you're going to deny me Not just once but three times Peter couldn't believe it He's like no way Lord even, even if I have to die with you He says I'll never deny you He says these other guys might deny you But I'll never deny you but We see that, that Jesus prophesied You know of his denial And then now we see that, that Peter's, Peter's pretty much proclamation Is going to be put to the test He's going to be put to the test and it says that, again, that Jesus warned him about, about his denial, you know. And I, th- I think it's just important to, for us to note this, you know, that if, that if Jesus warns us about something, you know, who are we to argue with? <laughs> you know, if God says, like, hey, be careful, don't go there because this is going to happen. Hey, you don't, don't get involved with that stuff because you're going to go down a r- uh, wrong route. Hey, don't, don't be involved in this because it's going to destroy you. I mean, I think, you know, who are we to argue with God if God is warning us about something? You know, he warned Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter rejected that. I'll never deny you, Lord. I think if the Lord takes the time to, to warn us about something, you know, it, it's for a good reason. You know, God never, God never says anything in vain. We're studying the Genesis last Wednesday. You know, we see how, how God gave the warning to Adam. And He told him, hey, if you eat this tree, you're going to die. You know, and, and we see that Adam didn't heed the warning. So God, whenever, whenever He gives us a warning, you know, whether it's through His Word, whether it's through somebody else, you know, it would be good if we, if we, if we heed those warnings because he doesn't say it for no reason. You know, he's God. He, again, he knows beginning, middle, and end. He he sees all of all of eternity as if it was one whole. He knows the consequences of our actions. He, know, he knows everything. You know? So he's he's right to warn us about these things. And then verse 15 it says. It says, and Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. So we see that th- that this, uh, this other disciple that he was known to the high priest and most likely this, this other disciple was John because it, it's it's only John who writes about this account you know and and, and only John could have known these things so we see that, that 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 John somehow had a tie to the priesthood where you know he was able to go in and out of the temple and, and or in and out of the courtyard, maybe he volunteered there, maybe he served there, but he was he was somehow Im- involved with the, with the priesthood there, so he was able to get like you know VIP access as it were as it were uh trialing jesus as they were you know questioning him he was able to go in there and kind of just see what was going on and it says that that, that john talked to the lady uh, he talked to the girl who was there at the door to get peter in you know pretty much he went up there and he's like hey he's with me you know like let him in let him in you know so he somehow had ties to, to the to the priesthood and it says that peter followed as they took jesus in so he was probably seeking to redeem himself after that incident at the garden you know so Peter goes in there. He tries to he tries to kill the, the, the servant of the of the priest. He cuts his ear off. Jesus has to go there and fix, fix, fix his mistake, fix his problems, you know. So no doubt Peter was probably feeling a little embarrassed, you know, about what had just happened. Now we see Peter kind of just trying to make up make up for it. He's following Jesus, you know, and maybe he's trying to like make up for what he just did, you know, and kind of redeem himself. But we see that he that he's going to chicken out, you know. He, as soon as he he walks in, the girl asks him, "Are you one of this man's disciples?" So it's crazy to think that, that, that Peter had just yeah just cut some guy's ear off, you know he had just displayed you know, his bravery by cutting some guy's ear off, but yet, as soon as they they, they question him, hey, aren't you with one of these guy's disciples? He chickens out. He denies it. Now it's funny because, you know, sometimes it's easier for us to do stuff for God than to follow God. You know, sometimes like we're we're in the same boat as Peter where. Hey, man, it's easier for me to just do good things and to do good, do good things for the church and do good things instead of, you know, identify myself with Christ. It's harder to identify ourselves with Christ. You know, it's easier to just do good deeds and to just, you know, go about doing good to people, you know, but not identify ourselves with Christ. Like, that's a harder thing. You know, that's something that's like a lie that, that we get into, like, oh, as long as I'm doing good things, I'm good. But it's not about doing good things because the Bible says that none of us are good. The Bible says that, that man's righteousness, meaning the best of the best of the best that we could give. That man's righteousness is like filthy rags into god so it's not about doing good things it's not just about you know doing things for god but it's about identifying ourselves with christ identifying ourselves as as one of his as one of his own so they ask him hey aren't you one of this guy's disciples and he says no so this is first denial and then when when asked about his disciples and, and his teachings jesus is uncooperative so they're, they're right there they're giving him you know the 21 questions they're asking jesus Who are you? What are you teaching? What are you teaching these guys? What about your your disciples? Who are they? Where are they at? You know, and he's uncooperative. And this results in him being slapped by one of the officers. It says that there in verse 22, And when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by, struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, hey, do you speak to the high priest like that? I imagine. They have the Son of God right there under trial. You know, and, and this guy slaps the Son of God. Telling him, hey, aren't you going to respect the high priest Well, it should have been the other way around you know and Jesus him being God you know he didn't he didn't bite back he didn't say anything back he didn't hit him back he didn't you know send down fire from heaven to consume this guy he could have but Jesus Jesus was all along just submitting to the will of the father and the will of the father that he would that he would be crucified and we think like man Jesus didn't even defend himself you know and why not because of love you know like everything that, that Jesus went through keep in mind that it's because of love it was because of it was for you and for me so he goes there, he's enduring like the most, the most humiliating, you know, things. I mean, imagine being like slapped, slapped across the face. I mean, that's humiliating. You know, and then, and then see, having his, his disciples watch this. I mean, you guys, had, you guys had, watched, had walked with Jesus for three years. He was their everything to them, you know. Their provider, their protector, their, their Messiah, their teacher, their everything, their God. And then for them to just see their, their Messiah being slapped in the face... It's a humiliating thing for Jesus, but yet the Bible says that, 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 that that's what Jesus is. That he humbled himself. You know, that he took the place of the lowest servant for us. He came in and he humbled himself. You know, he clothed he himself in humility for us. And then we see that Peter denies them two more times. There in Luke 22, verses 61 and 22, it tells us that that, as, that immediately after he denies the Lord... That him and Jesus locked eyes. And that he left and wept bitterly. So Peter, as he's going in, they ask him, Hey, aren't you one of this guy's disciples? He says, No, I'm not. And then he's there in the fire, they ask him again, Yeah, you're one of his. You, know, you're, you're, you sound like one of his disciples. I'm not. Then someone else tells him, No, I'm sure you're one of his. And he says, I don't know the guy. And as soon as he did that in the third time, the rooster crows. Exactly what Jesus said was going to happen happened. Now there in Luke it says that, that, that As soon as he, he, he denied him that third time and As soon as the rooster crowed it says that him and Jesus locked eyes Now imagine that A few hours ago Jesus told telling him You're going to deny me three times Peter says I'll never deny you Lord I'll never do that Even if these guys deny you I'll never deny you I'll die with you He just denies him three times And as, and as Jesus is being slapped in the face You know They, they, they lock eyes And then it says that Peter went out And he wept bitterly Now I I, I think about this, you know, I read this and I think about it and, and I ask myself, you know, what did Peter see when he locked eyes with the beaten Lord? What did, what did, what did Peter see when he locked eyes with the with stricken Lord? What did Peter see, you know, after knowing that, that, that Jesus told me he was going to betray him? Peter thinking he was so strong that he was going to stand, stand so strong for God, you know, and never deny the Lord and then now just denying him for the third time and then locking eyes with Jesus. I think, man, what did he see? You know, some people are inclined to think that, that maybe Jesus was looking at him like this just shaking his head. Told you Told you were going to do this How could you But he didn't You know I believe that, that when, he, when he locked eyes with the Lord You know He saw eyes of grace Eyes of love You know Not condemnation Not disappointment and Sometimes you know We, we feel beaten down when, when we think we disappointed the Lord And we think Man God called me to do this And I failed miserably You know And sometimes like we, we have this thing in our heads I don't know Where we think that God's Just looking at us like this <laughs> But that's not God you know, God is a God of grace. God is a God of love that no matter how many times we fail, no matter how many times we fail Him, you know, He, he looks at us with eyes of compassion, with eyes of grace, with eyes of love, with eyes of restoration. We're going to see a couple chapters later on that, that He is going gonna, gonna to restore Peter. You know, He's going to give him three opportunities to confess His love for him. Just like, just like He denied him three times, He's going to restore him three times. You know, He's going to give him three opportunities to, to confess His love for him. But again, when, when Peter locked eyes with them, you know he didn't he didn't see condemnation, he didn't see you know guilt, he didn't see you know shame, he didn't see you know Jesus going like this. Oh, but he saw you know the eyes of compassion. Just Jesus knowing like, man, I love you. I'm doing this for you. Same thing for us, man. Have you guys found yourself in a place where you're just like, where you feel like, man, I've failed God miserably. I've been running away from God for years. I've been walking away from Him for years. I've been you know rejecting the calling on my. Uh, on in my life for years I've been trying to do Good things for God And I've been failing Time after time You know, God's not looking at us Like this with these eyes of shame And eyes of, of You know Of disappointment He looks at us with, Always with, with eyes of grace With eyes of love We're his kids man He loves us So we see that Peter denies him For the third time He goes out He weeps bitterly You know And It's awesome to see that That, that Jesus At that moment He didn't tell him He didn't say Hey you messed up so bad Peter I'm, I'll never use you ever again no, again, God's grace is so much, so much greater than our failures. You know, so much greater than our failures. There's a verse that says that that where sin abounds, grace overabounds. Where our sin, meaning like where if you have a cup, so you have a cup, you know, and, and if it's full to the top, that's our sin abounding, and then grace overabounding is if you take that cup and you dip it into the Atlantic Ocean, that's grace overabounding over us. Where 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 our sin is great, God's grace is greater, and there's no person who is who's too far gone for God. You know, there's no person who has done too many mistakes for God. There's no person who is too lost for God. You know, his desire is, is, to, is, is to reach all of us. You know, and, to, and, to, and that we would all experience that compassion and, you know, and that grace from God. Every single one of us. You know, so Jesus knew that Peter would deny Him. You know, he warned him about, about it. And God knows what, what we're made of you know, more than what we're made of. He's not, he's not surprised by our failures. You know, again, He had already told Peter, you didn't deny me. You know, so it, it's not that Jesus was surprised by this. When he denied him the third time It's not that pe- Jesus was like Man how could you He's not surprised by our failures You know He knows what we're made of We don't know what we're made of We have to find out As we go through it You know But he knows what we're made of already Same thing with Peter You know, Verses 28 Says Then Then they led Jesus From Caiaphas To the praetorium And it was early morning But they themselves Did not go into the praetorium Lest they should be defiled But that they might eat The Passover So you see man They're just hypocrites so it's like they're, they're leading they're leading Jesus there to the praetorium, you know, and they're about to, they're they're going they're going about with this crazy sham fake trial, you know. But it says that that, that they let him there, but that they, they didn't go inside because they didn't want to be defiled, so they could still partake in the Passover. It's like man, that is like religiosity at its best or at its worst. It's like man, we're we're, we're you're you doing all these things all these days, so-called righteous things for God, but you're you're neglecting you know God in your own life. These guys are... Man, again, they're taking, them, they're taking the Son of God to be crucified. They take Him to the door and they just send Him in because they don't want to go inside because they don't want to defile themselves. And they don't realize that their heart is filthy. They're worried about defiling themselves from the outward, about getting their, 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 their reputation stained, about getting their clothes, you know, touching, touching one of the people who aren't clean. But yet their heart is just filthy from the inside. And we see that... That's what God sees, you know, is our heart. And he doesn't care about the outside, you know, he doesn't care about, about about how we look, about you know, about any of that stuff, you know, but what he cares about is our heart. God calls us to to, to, to cleanse our heart, you know, to come to him so that our our hearts could be cleansed. Again, this guy's just hypocrisy. In verse 29, it says, Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you, others tell you this about, about me? Saying, so Pilate asked him, hey, Are you the king of the Jews or not? Jesus is saying, do you want to know for yourself or are you inquiring about someone else? Are you you asking for someone else? And Pilate answered there in verse 35, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I would not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, yeah, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world. That I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate then said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. I mean, he's, he's interrogating Jesus, trying to find out what he did wrong. Because these, these religious leaders are, are giving him over to be crucified, to die. Back then the crucifixion was like the death sentence. You know, so imagine like, man, imagine someone just brings someone to the, to the courthouse, to the you know, L.A. courthouse, and they're like, hey, this guy needs a death sentence. Well, what do you do? Man, if, if, if he didn't do something bad, we, we wouldn't have brought him here. Just kill him. You know, so, so, so Pilate being, being the, the, the judge of the place, he's trying to find out what Jesus did wrong. He's interrogating him. He probably thinks he's crazy, but he didn't do anything wrong. So he goes out again to the Jews, to the whole crowd. and He says, hey, I find no fault in him. This guy's innocent. There's nothing wrong with him. I find no fault in him at all. Then 39 says, But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they all cried out again, saying, Not this man but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. So we see that this is the beginning of, of Jesus' trial before Pilate. You know, and we will see a lot of back and forth. You know, between Pilate and the, the religious leaders, then the Pilate and Jesus, and Pilate and the crowd. So, so Pilate's right there. He's trying to get Jesus off the hook. You know, he realizes that, that Jesus is an innocent man. He goes in there, interrogates him. Alright, he goes back out to the crowd. He goes back to Jesus. Then he goes to the religious leaders. He goes back to Jesus and back to the, back to the religious leaders. It's, he's going back and forth. And, and we're going to start reading just a lot of back and forth between Jesus and, and, and Pilate and Pilate and the, and the religious leaders and Pilate and the crowd. Now, under custody Jesus experiences a, a number of sham trials Jesus by this time had already appeared before the high priest there at nighttime when they took him the Sanhedrin Pontius Pilate Herod and now before Pilate again so it's like these guys, these guys are doing everything they can to kill the son of God they're doing everything they can to, to, just, to kill this guy to get rid of him You know, they take him to to Caiaphas, boom, condemn him. They they, they take him to Herod, Herod can't do anything with him. They take him to Pilate, he sends him back, they bring him back to Pilate. He's like, these guys are determined to kill the Son of God. They're determined to kill him. They hate him that much. And then John 19 verses 1 through 4 says, So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns. And put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, "Hail, the king of the Jews!" So they're mocking him, they're making fun of him, and they struck him with their fans with their hands. So they're beating him again. Then verse four says that Pilate then went out again and said to them, "Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him." So man, he he can't do anything with this guy. He's like he's saying, "Man, he's innocent." So what does he do? He scourges him. He beats him. Now the scourging. And the scourging is is a is a, is a Roman it's a Roman practice that involved a whip with leather, with leather strands having a bones or metal. So this this discourging tool it was it was this this whip that they made you know and it had leather strands on it and they would tie pieces of bone pieces of metal pieces of glass and and they would beat the prisoners with it and the whole point of this you know was that they would beat them so hard that they would get a confession out of them. Now we know that Jesus was innocent. There was nothing for him to confess. So he received the full blow of the scourging tool on him. The Bible says that he was beaten beyond recognition. And then beyond this, this, this beating by the scourging tool, you know, they take him back. And it says right there in verse 2 that the soldiers, they twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and they start, man, just wailing on him. After he had already been beat by the religious leaders, now he gets scourged almost to death. I mean, most people who, who, who went through the scourging process didn't even survive. That's how bad it was. Jesus survived because he wasn't meant to die that way, but he, he still, he suffered the full blow of the scourging tool. Now the, the Romans get him, they mock him, they put this crown of thorns on him, and they start just wailing on him. You know, so it wasn't unusual for someone to, to, to die of to die the scourging, you know, but he didn't. It was interesting that, 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 that they take these crown of thorns. You know, it says verse 2, that the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns, and put it on his head I say it's interesting Because Genesis 3 Verses 13 Verses 17 and 18 Says that It tells us that, that, the, that The thorns Are actually a result of sin We're, we're going to study Genesis 3 This upcoming Wednesday You know And it's, it's, the, it's sin entering into the world And we see that that, that As a result of sin entering in the world A lot of things happen There was a curse on the ground You know Now uh, God tells Adam That, that he's going to have to work By the sweat of his brow You know Now death entered the world and, and and then there in Genesis 3 it says that, that thorns appeared on the bushes. So we see that that thorns are a, are a result of a fallen of a fallen world. That even the even the thorns on a rose bush, even the, like all these thorns that we see that they're a result of sin. Now we see these soldiers they they, they 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 take a crown of thorns and they put it on Jesus' head. You make the connection? You know, sin The sin into the world As a result of sin into the world These thorns grew On the bushes now Now Jesus As he's about to die For the sin of the world Man It's like he's bearing The curse of all humanity On his head So they twist this Crown of thorns on him Place it on him You know One of the results Of the the curse There in Genesis 3 Place it on his head So he's bearing the, The curse The curse of all Of all humanity He's bearing the curse of sin On his head So they go And they beat him the first Adam died in sin and brought forth the curse. And the last Adam, which is Jesus, because the Bible refers to Jesus as the last Adam. The last Adam bore the curse and brought life through the victory over sin and death. Crazy. I think it's perfect timing that we're studying Genesis, you know, because again, we see about Adam's fall. And because, of, because Adam Adam rejected God, because Adam rebelled against God, he brought sin into this world. But because Christ, the last Adam, was obedient to the Father, He's going to take away the sin of the world And that was God's plan all along Ever since the very first page of the Bible That was God's plan all along So again this crown of thorns And then it says that they struck him with their hands So it's like they're piling on insult on top of insult. You know he had already been beaten all night long And, now, and now, now they beat him again You know so it wasn't enough that they had already Just almost beat him to death with the whip Now they strike him with their hands Now they humiliate him and all and all, while all this is going on, you know, prophecy is being fulfilled. I was talking to Manny earlier, you we know, were at the at the at the store, and and we're talking about the Bible and stuff, you know. And we're saying that you know, one way that you, we can know that the Bible is true, in many ways, but one way is prophecy. You know, the the Bible is like in, unlike any other book because the Bible, the Bible contains prophecy. What prophecy is is it's a it's a foretelling of something that's going to happen in the future. If it happens, then that means that the, that the that it can be trusted. If it doesn't, then that means that it can't. You know, so there was a prophecy, you know, made about Jesus. Man, a couple hundred years before he was even born. There in Isaiah fifty-three verses three and seven, it says, talking about Jesus, a prophecy about Jesus before he was even born, hundreds of years, says that he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him, esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, that the chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Then it goes on to say that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then it says, he was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its, its shears is silent, so he opened out his mouth. So we see that as Jesus is going through all this, you know, all meanwhile prophecy is being fulfilled. You know, the prophet Isaiah had spoken about, about this very incident. As you read it, you, you, see, you see Jesus in every word, in every verse. All this that, that, that was prophesied about him is going on right now. And he's been beaten, he's been stricken, he's been smitten. You know, and, and, and this whole time, he, did not, he didn't say a word. He didn't try to defend himself. He didn't say, Oh, stop, stop. But he, he took the full blow of this punishment on himself. He didn't say a word. It says that as a lamb, like, a, like as a lamb to the slaughter, you know, that, that's what Jesus was. He was like a lamb to the slaughter. And it's interesting like uh, imagery because back then, you know, when, when they would take these, these lambs to, to be sacrificed, you know, the lamb, he wouldn't cry out. He would, he would be like innocent the whole time. You know, they, they, you could literally just... Pick him up, they would take him there to the altar, and even right to the point where they were about to 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 slay him, you know, the lamb would not cry out. He was just just oblivious to what's going on. And That's what Jesus was. You know, that as he was being smitten, stricken, beaten, about to be crucified, so that he opened out his mouth. And then Pilate says, Behold the man. Then verse 5: Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, verse 6, When the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have, no, we have a law, and according to our law, he has to die, because he made himself the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was more afraid... So Pilate comes out, you know, after after Jesus being all night long, he and they pull him with his, with his purple robe, they, this crown of thorns on him, and he presents him before the whole crowd. He says, behold, the man. As, it's like he's saying, is this a guy, you know, is this a guy who's, who's stirring up all this trouble? Is this a guy who you guys are all stirred up about? Is this a guy who, who you know, who you're trying to, to kill? You know, and no doubt, you know, and I say this with, with the most respect, you know, to the Lord and with the most reverence, But they were looking at a a pitiful sight. Jesus. Keep in mind, you know, Jesus was already, when they presented him to Pilate, he he was already sweating drops of blood. Then he gets beat up all night. You know, then they take him to Pilate. They beat him again. And now they they scourge him, put this crown of thorns on him, this purple robe, and now he's presented before the people. No doubt it was a pitiful sight. And I say that with all reverence. It was a pitiful sight. He's saying, is this a guy? Is this a guy who, who you guys are trying to get rid of? Is this, is this the guy who you guys are trying to kill? Is this him? So the, the crowd was staring at a bloody, beaten, humiliated Jesus. They're saying, hey, is this the guy you want to kill? So Pilate maybe, maybe hoped that, that the humiliation of Jesus would satisfy the crowd. Maybe he hoped that by, by doing this to Jesus that they would be alright. That's enough. You know. Like, We're good with that. But they weren't. They weren't satisfied. They weren't going to be satisfied until they killed the Son of God. And then when Pilate heard that, it says that when Pilate heard that saying, he was more afraid. In verse eight. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was more afraid. What was he more afraid of? He asked him, hey man, I find no fault to him. And the Jews said, we have to kill him. According to our law, we have to kill him because he, he, he committed blasphemy. He's claiming to be the son of God. And then it says that Pilate, when he heard that, he was more afraid. So Pilate was already hesitant about inflicting this capital punishment upon Jesus because he knew that Jesus was innocent. He knew that, that he was doing this to an innocent man. Notice there, back to, verse, to chapter 18, at the end of verse 18, it says, he says, I find no fault in him. Then verse four of chapter 19, he says, I find no fault in him. Then again, right there in verse six, I find no fault in him. So he knows that Jesus, that Jesus is innocent. He knows that he's, that he's doing this to an innocent man. But then, when he hears that that, that Jesus claiming to be the Son of God, so that he's man, he begins to be afraid. So that he was more afraid. So it's possible that after his conversation with Jesus there in chapter eighteen, he began to be convinced that there was something more to this Jesus, that there was something more to this to this Jesus of Nazareth. You know, maybe he's being convinced, like man, maybe who, he, maybe he is who he says he is. He knows he's innocent, but he says that he, that he got he. He was more afraid when he found out that Jesus was claimed to be the Son of God. Then verses 9 to 13 says, And went again to praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? And Jesus said, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has a greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes, makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he, was, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement. But in Hebrew, Gabbatha. So it says that Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. So Pilate's trying to get Jesus off the hook. You know, he knows he's innocent. He's trying to get him released. He's pretty much doing all all he can, you know, but he can't fight against a crowd. Matthew 27, 24 says that Pilate washed his hands at this point and that he declared his innocence in the matter and gave Jesus over. So Matthew tells us that when when Pilate did all he could to try to release Jesus and he saw that the crowd wasn't budging and he got this little basin of water, a little bowl of water, he washed his hands and he says, all right, you know, his blood is upon you guys. And they said yeah His blood is upon us And upon our children So he's saying Alright I'm innocent And you're like he's a, That's your guys' deal That's on you Now He's highly given to the pressure Of the cries Coming from the crowd Saying crucify Crucify He did have power To release him you know, But instead He gave over to the crowd And the crowd was Pressuring him To crucify him Then they tell him If you let this man go You're not Caesar's friend and we too are faced with this dilemma every single day. You know, we we're faced with the with the decision to either choose God and forsake the world, or embrace the world and forsake God. All of us, we're all faced with this dilemma every single day. Pale, you know, he was hey, either release Jesus or give in to the crowd. He gave into the crowd. For us, it's either follow Christ, follow Christ, you know, follow God, and forsake the world, or forsake the world and follow God. We're faced with this dilemma every single day. You know, what are you gonna choose? I mean, every single day we're faced with this. You know, I go to work and, and it's like every single day I, I have to I have to make a decision in my heart. To, at the moment I wake up, Lord, today I'm gonna serve you, Lord. Today I'm gonna I'm gonna honor you, Lord, with the with the work of my hands, with my speech, with my thoughts. We that's a decision that we have to make every single day, guys. Because we know that that. That you know, we still live in this sinful nature, And this sinful body, and in a sinful world. Opportunities to sin are going to present, present themselves all over the place, every day. It's like you, it's like every corner you hit, man, boom, sin, 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 sin. And like every corner you hit, there's a there's an opportunity for you to just boom, you know, go all out and sin. But we're faced with this with this decision every single day. I love what Joshua said there in Joshua 24, verse 15. He starts talking to the people. He says, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of this river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. He says, But as for me, so that for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So we, may, we know that, that, that this serving of God, the serving God is, is a decision that we have to make every single day, at all times. What are we going to choose? Verse 14 says this. Verse 14 of chapter 19, it says, Now it was the preparation day of the Passover And about the sixth hour And he said to the Jews Behold your king But they cried out Away with him Away with him Crucify him Pilate said to them Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered We have no king but Caesar (laughs) We have no king but Caesar Then he delivered him to them To be crucified And they took Jesus And led him away And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with them, one to his left, one to his right, and Jesus in the center. Now, Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified. was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, in Greek, and in Latin. So notice that it says that they took Jesus and they led him away. So that they led Him away. They didn't force Him. They didn't drag Him. They didn't carry Him. But it so says that they led Him. Now it's significant because it shows the willingness of Christ to be given over. He didn't fight it. He didn't fight it. He was led. He just followed. So He was willing to go to the cross for us. Now the Romans would have to, typically in a, in a crucifixion process, they, they would have to drag the prisoners because, man, they knew that, that they were about to experience, you know, Something extremely painful. So it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't uh, out of the ordinary for, for them to have to drag the prisoners to their cross, you know, and, ah, drag them, you know, and they would fight all the way along because right, who wanted to be crucified, right? But Jesus, he didn't fight, you know. He says that he was led; he just followed. They all knew the excruciating pain that was that was waiting them, but not Christ, you know. He, like a lamb led to the slaughter, willingly went. John fifteen thirteen says. That greater love has no one in this than to lay down his life for his friends. And that's what the Lord did. You know, I love that Jesus was not forced to do what he did. Because love is not forced. You know, he loves us. And, and because he loves us, he willingly went. He didn't have to be forced. He didn't have to be, you know, uh, obligated to do this. He willingly went out of love. Everything that, everything that he went through, it was, it was out of love. Out of love for us. Him knowing that we were going to be here one day listening to his message. Him knowing that, that one day we're gonna come to know him. You know, he wanted to make this sure for us, like knowing that hey, he wanted to make sure that we know that he loves us. So everything he's doing is out of love. Verse 21-28 says. Therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but he said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and made four parts. To each soldier a part and also the tunic. So they, they ripped up his, his clothing and they, and they, they, they shared it. it said, now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be? That the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas. And Mary Magdalene. So all the Marys are there. So meeting of the Marys. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. So it says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that all things were now fulfilled, says that the scripture might be fulfilled he says I thirst so it's crazy to think that uh, you know that all while Jesus is doing this you know what's on his mind notice what's on his mind is scripture you know in the last moments of Jesus' life here on earth in the most painful physical condition Jesus is thinking about fulfilling scripture What the scripture now what do we think about in times of trials or pain I mean all of us go through trials and pain all of us you know and and what do what you meditate on when you're going through pain? What do you meditate on when you go through the hardest season of your life? What do you meditate on when you're going through the hardest trial of your life? What do you, medita- you meditate on when you're going through something where, where you think, Man, this is going to be the end of me. There's no way I'm going to come out of this trial. This is like the darkest pit I've ever been in. What do you think about? Jesus was thinking about scripture. There's a psalm that I love that I quote all the time all the time it's in Psalm 119.92 that says unless your word had been my delight I would have perished in my affliction all of us are going to go through things we're promised that I and mean, we live in a, in a sinful fallen world and we're all going to go through, through hard trials it might look different for all of us you know, but, but no doubt they're going to be painful and for all of us it's different but we're all going to go through these trials you know, but God promised us to sustain us through these trials Isaiah 26.3 says you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you Because he trusts in you. So Jesus, as he was going through the most, you know, painful, physical, you know, experience. He's thinking about fulfilling scripture. He says that Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled. He said, I thirst. Now, it's awesome to think that, that, again, that he says that all scripture might be fulfilled. That all the prophecies might be fulfilled. So while he's going through this, you know, he's thinking about the prophecies being fulfilled, and again, prophecy is, is is a way, one way of us to, for us to know that, that the Bible is true, that the Bible is God's word, because again, the Bible is God's word; it's inspired, it, it has no error. Again, sixty six books, thirty nine the old, twenty seven the new, about a thousand one hundred eighty nine chapters in the whole Bible, forty something different authors. Some li- lived thousands of years apart from each other; didn't even know each other had no connection, but yet it's one word one bible it's one it's it's god's word and it's and it's it's uh it's in unity same message and in this whole bible there's not one error not one mistake not one false claim that there was we could throw our bibles away right now walk away from god walk away from this church walk away from our relationship with god and never look back but because god's word is the same yesterday today tomorrow because it is perfect because it is without error it could be trusted and, and the claims that are in it can be trusted. Because we know that, that, that they're God's claims. We know that what Jesus said about himself is true. So if any one of these prophecies concerning Jesus' life and death had not been fulfilled by him, we can just throw our Bibles away. But we see that every single prophecy concerning Jesus' death, life, and crucifixion was fulfilled. Scripture as a whole would be meaningless because God's word would be not true. But on that same token, you know, because Jesus did fulfill these prophecies... Concerning himself, Up until this point, we can trust the Bible. Because we know that the Bible is true, we can trust what it says. And Jesus says there in verse 29 and 30, after, these, after, Jesus, after this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might, might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put his upon it and put it to his mouth. So, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, It is finished. And bowing His head, He gave up His spirit. So He says, It is finished. It is finished. So it is finished. I had, Jesus had fulfilled His role as a Lamb of God that, that was going to take away the sins of the world. He had offered Himself as a sinless, perfect, spotless sacrifice for all humanity. It is finished. The sin of the world was laid on Him and He took our place on that cross. It is finished. John three sixteen. You know, as as Jesus was was talking to to Nicodemus, you know, he makes a reference to an incident in the book of Numbers. You guys, you guys recall? He, uh, Nicodemus comes to him, and Jesus tells him, you know, hey, you know, unless, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus asks him, like, what are you talking about? And Jesus pretty much bring, take, takes him to a story in the in the Old Testament there in Numbers. And the story was uh that the children of Israel, they were they were in the wilderness, they began to to to, to murmur, to complain against God. And so the Lord sent these serpents to bite them. <laughs> and they started dying. And every time that you know that they would get bit by venomous snakes they would they would begin to die. You know, and then God told Moses, Hey, raise, raise up a, a brass serpent. You know, and brass is always always signifies judgment in the Bible. Whenever you see brass, it you know, it's always it's always uh, signifies judgment. So he tells him, hey, make this brass serpent and put it in, put it on a pole. And, and whoever gets bit, you know, if they just look at this brass serpent, they'll be healed. And then Jesus tells Nicodemus, says, just like the serpent was raised up in the wilderness, so must the son of man, talking about himself, so must the son of man be lifted up. So he's saying, hey, that didn't that that happen in the Old Testament. He says, that was about me. That was, that was, a, that was a picture of, of what I was going to do. You know, and back then, he, so all, all the people had to do was just look on this brass serpent, and, and they'll be healed. You know, now interesting to note that a lot of these guys died, you know, even though it was so easy. It was something so simple to just look on, look at, look at the brass serpent, and that they'd be healed. But yeah, a lot of them chose not to. A lot of them maybe thought, "Man, there's no way. Just looking at this thing, uh, this thing could heal me. There's no way something so silly could could heal me." But that's what people say about the cross today. That's what, that's what people say about Jesus today. Forgiven of all my sins. Just by believing in Christ? Having everlasting life? Just by believing in His name? Going to heaven with God the Father and being forgiven of everything I've ever done simply by trusting in Jesus? No way. Sounds too easy. Sounds too simple. There's got to be a catch. There's no catch. So we see that people today, you know, as we share the gospel, people hear the gospel, yet they reject it. You know, something so simple. The Bible says that, that in Romans that whoever calls on the name of the Lord... Will be saved. Something so simple for someone to just say, "Man, God, I need you. Yeah. I give up. <clears throat> I'm done. I need you. I want you. I receive you. I accept you." Something so simple. Something so simple, but yet you know the, the effect of it and forgiveness of sins, eternal life with God, oneness in relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, the promise of His Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. Something so simple, but yet people reject it to this day. So Jesus says, "It is finished." And then he says, Father, into your hands I command my spirit. Matthew 27, 51 gives us a more detailed you know, account of what happened here. And it says that at this very moment, it says that, that when, when Jesus, at this more, very moment when he says it is finished and he, and he gave up his spirit and he died. And Matthew says that, that at that very moment when, when, when Jesus said that, that the, that the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. The curtain, there was a curtain that, that was separating the holy of holies, the place where God's presence dwelled. And then the normal people, there was a curtain right there, and it was pretty much like unapproachable. You couldn't pass that curtain, you know. And the Bible says, and there in Matthew, that, that when Jesus died and He gave up the ghost, that He gave up the Holy Spirit, says that that, that, cur- that curtain was ripped from top to bottom, mm-hmm. signifying now, you know, the access that we all have to God the Father, to the Holy of Holies, to God's presence. Something that that, that before was was unimaginable, was unattainable. Something that 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 before was was. Was even, was, it was something that he couldn't even comprehend I mean back then you know there was a priest would go into the Holy of Holies only once a year and before he even went into the Holy of Holies into this presence of God he had to first sanctify himself wash himself he had to give an offering for himself and if there was any sin in him any unconfessed sin or any unrepentant sin as soon as the moment he would go in there he would die and now Jesus by his death on the cross you know he rips this temple veil as like just opening the doors wide open. He opens up the gate. He says, Hey, now the now access to the presence of God is, is open to everyone. Whosoever will. Amen. The Bible says that Amen. whosoever will believe in the name of God will be saved. Amen. Now it's not something that's just so far far and foreign to us, but it's something that's that's attainable. The very moment when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, and that that that, that 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 temple bell is already is already ripped, you know, that access to God is granted to us like freely for anyone doesn't matter what we've done doesn't matter who we are doesn't matter what our background is doesn't matter what we're struggling with mm-hmm. it's open to all of us whosoever will mm-hmm. This is awesome and because I think of my life you know things that I've done who I am who I know I am yeah. you know like you guys see me and my wife sees me people see me and they see who I am but it's like it's like only you know the real you and you think man God how could you even look at me God how could you even accept me God how could you even love me but it's because of what Jesus did that now we're all able to experience this love of the Father so God's presence was, was unapproachable you know they would die they even entered in but now hey man access is granted to all of us Whosoever will. So now Jesus, He becomes our perfect sacrifice, and all access is made available to us through His sacrifice on the cross. You know, this, this wall of separation between the holy God and sinful man is now torn down. Hebrews 4:16, I love this verse. Hebrews 4:16 says, "Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may find mercy and find grace to help in the time of need." That's a promise to all of us. That's an invitation to all of us. Because of what Jesus did, now the, the invitation to us is, hey, let us come with boldness to the throne of grace. That word boldness means that you come in just like kicking down the door, like, I'm home. Boldness. We have this boldness to just to approach God now because of what Jesus did. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, we have this boldness to, to, to the throne now. Verse 31, we'll finish the rest of the chapter, it says, Therefore, because it was a preparation day, That the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath. For the Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken. And that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with them. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead. They did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And immediately blood and water came out. And he, he who had seen this has testified. Meaning John. And His testimony is true And He knows that He is telling the truth So that you may believe For these things were done That the scriptures should be fulfilled The scripture saying Not one of His bones shall be broken And again another scripture says They shall look on Him whom they have pierced So again it was, it was, it was close to the, to the Sabbath day and, and the religious leaders Even though they crucified the Son of God They didn't want to have these dead guys Out there on the Sabbath day Because it would be unholy And the hypocrisy You know and so they tell the Roman soldiers hey break their legs so they could die faster because <laughs> pretty much with, with the cross you know, the whole idea of a cross was that as, as they were you know, hanging like this you know, their, their, their lungs would collapse and they're pierced by both hands they're pierced by their feet and they had to they had to put the weight the weight of the whole body on, on, on the nail lift themselves up to get a breath and exhale and then just do it again so that's like, that would cause them pain you know and and eventually they would just die of of asphyxiation because they couldn't breathe no more they would just you know they would just just get so tired that they would just you know lay their whole weight on the nail and and, and they wouldn't be able to breathe so the religious leaders they come to the Romans and they say hey just break their legs so they could die faster so there was two guys where Jesus was crucified there was one on his left one on his right the other gospel tells that the one on the left was mocking him saying hey you're the son of God then save yourself and save us and the one on the right was pretty much saying Hey shut up You know like We have We, we deserve to be here But he doesn't You he know he's innocent And he tells Jesus Lord remember me When you come into your kingdom And Jesus tells him Surely I tell you that Today you will be with me In paradise So Jesus was crucified With these two guys On his left One on the left, one on his left And one on his right You know so these guys You know the Bible doesn't tell us What they did Exactly But They're, they're receiving the death The death penalty The death sentence they're receiving you know, death by lethal injection. And you know, like only the hardest, the hardest of criminals, you know, only like the hardest of crimes receive the death penalty. So these guys were you know tough criminals. One of them's mocking Jesus and the other one says, hey, have mercy on me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Notice that this guy didn't have to get off the cross and go get baptized, get off the cross and go knock on doors, get off the cross and go work and then give his tithes to the church. Get off his cross and go, you know, I don't know, start a Bible study and nothing like that. You know, all you had to do was just believe on Christ. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, there's so many people teach that we have to do, 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 do in order to to gain salvation. Do, do, do be busy about all these things in order to, to gain heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches. You know, we do things out of love for God. I mean... You know, we're here having this Bible study we go out to a blessed community we do all kinds of stuff for the Lord not because we're trying to gain salvation not because we're trying to you know, butter God up so He can love us more He already loves us with all the love that He has there's no way God can love us any more than He already loves because He already loves us with all the love that He has God is love and He loves us with His whole being nothing that we do can make, can make God love us more so we see that this guy who was on the right Jesus tells him hey, today you he will be with me in paradise so they go to the one on the left they break his legs they will go to the one on the right they break his legs and when they come to Jesus they see that he was already dead and this was another fulfillment of prophecy of scripture because scripture tells us there's, a, there's a, a, a song concerning Jesus concerning the crucifixion saying that none of his bones were broken now this is a couple of thousand years before even crucifixion was invented and, and it's saying not one of his bones will be broken and it was true know they didn't break any of his bones but it says that they pierced his side and when they pierced his side that the water and blood came out you know signifying a ruptured heart heart failure he was already dead and then it says in 38 after this joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of jesus but secret secretly for fear of the jews so he was a secret agent asked Pilate that he might take away the body of jesus and Pilate gave him permission so he came and took the body of Jesus and Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes but a, and a hundred pounds, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in, in strips of linen with the spices and the custom of, of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden and the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews preparation day for the tomb was nearby. So we see now Jesus is dead You know He had given up the spirit You know Jesus is dead And this is that Joseph the Joseph of Arimathea Came up You know He asked for the body of Christ This says that he was That he was a secret disciple You know So he was a follower of Christ But in secret Because he was Afraid of what the Jews Were going to say He was afraid of what the Jews Were going to do You know Now I mean There's a lot of secret disciples Out there today You know And, and, and sometimes We it could be like that I mean man, I'll be honest man, I'm guilty of being a secret disciple in certain instances where I'm at work and you know for some reason I get like anxious or fearful and I'm like I'm not going to say anything about God right now even though it's a perfect opportunity but I'm not going to say anything because I don't know like something happens in my head and I start like, kind of checking out too sometimes you know but we see this guy was a secret disciple all of Jesus' life but yeah at the very moment where it mattered, where it mattered, where it mattered the most you know he, he came forth and he wasn't ashamed I mean man they had just crucified the Lord you know he wasn't he wasn't afraid of, of, of them being like hey he's one of his followers let's kill him too. You know he was a secret disciple all his life, but when it mattered the most, you know he he, he showed himself. That's what God sees you know, he, the way we finish is more important the way than the way we begin. You know it, it's some people bank on oh a few years ago I was good I was doing this I was with the Lord I was walking this that. but it's like how are you now? You know, the, the ending is more important than the beginning. You know, It doesn't matter how you start it. It's about how you finish. That's an encouragement to all of us. It doesn't matter how you start it, you know, but how are you going to finish? That's what the Lord sees. That's what, that's what matters the most. And so this is just an encouragement to all of us. And, and with, with that, we'll, we'll close the book and we'll end. And I just want just, to just give an opportunity, man, if, if anybody... Maybe is hearing this for the first time, and you know, maybe like, man, I didn't know that about the Lord. You know, I didn't know the the what happened there when when Jesus died, that He took our place, and then now that God sees me as, 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 as righteous, because that's what happened. You know, when Jesus took our place, now we. The Bible says that if we place our faith in Him, now God sees us not for us, but for the righteousness of Christ. When Christ died, you know, man, He He died to to forgive us of all our sins, every single one of them. There's nothing too crazy that we've ever done that God can't forgive us of. The Bible says that God's, God's, God's desire is for none to be lost, for none to perish, but for all to be saved, for all to come to repentance and salvation. Mm-hmm. So we see that, that the reason Jesus died you know, was, was for our sins, was to take our place, that whosoever will believe in Him will receive that gift of forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And that's, and that's a gift that God is still giving today. That's a, that's, a God, that's a gift that God is desiring to give right now You know and, and if you're just listening right now You're like man I want that gift You know I, I've done a lot of crazy stuff for my life But if God can forgive me Then I want that if You want to just You know Rededicate your life to the Lord Or just say Or just accept that gift Then uh, I'm going to say a prayer and you can say that prayer out loud and, Or in your heart It doesn't really matter You know But what matters is that is There's that a conversation between you and God You know My prayer is just It's just a guide now, you're not talking to me you're not talking to us you're talking to God so if you desire to just receive this gift of God and of eternal life and, and to have Jesus take your place you know and, and commit your life to him and just walk with him and know him and let's pray Father God I ask that you would uh, take control of my life I ask you to come into my life in order to receive the free gift of salvation that you've given me and I receive that free gift of the forgiveness of sins Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for that sacrifice that you made. Thank you because the Bible says that no matter what I've done, Lord, you're able to forgive. I receive that gift of forgiveness. Come into my life. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to know you more. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.